Amen. Amen. As we come to our, uh, uh, our time of reading, I did want to introduce to you a special guest we have among us this morning. He's been a dear friend of mine probably for uh, 10 years or so and has several relationships in the Orlando area, uh, but he is a, uh, a pastor of a church in Paris, France, and uh, that church has planted another church there in Paris, and then in addition to that, uh, his church founded and runs a school uh, in Congo uh, for uh, several hundred children. And so he's an incredible uh, man of God, and he's here uh, this week to spend some time with us at First Pres and then to take part in the World Reform Fellowship, and it is Pastor Gabriel Aliko. And Gabe, would you wave, and would you welcome Gabriel to our church this morning? So glad that you get to come uh, and be with us. We're blessed by your presence, brother. Thank you for being here. Let me pray for us as we come to the word of God. Lord, uh, we, uh, we indeed are part of a global church, and we're gonna see that in all of its fullness this week. And I pray that you would continue to, to teach us, uh, to reveal yourself to us in and through your word about who we are in this community and how we fit uh, as well into that global uh, community of faith. But before we can do that, Lord, we need to understand uh, that unique call that you give to us to be those who are sharing the gospel. Uh, how do we do um, that work so that people who maybe have gotten the story wrong uh, can get the story right and understand who you uh, truly are? So would you uh, help us with that this morning, Lord? Teach us about that today. And uh, Lord, I'm a, I'm a broken, messy, sinful man. And uh, I pray that you would overcome all that today, oh God, that you and you alone would be honored and glorified. For we pray it in the name of Christ, our Lord. Amen. So our text this morning from Luke chapter five, verses one to 11. Luke writes, one day as Jesus was standing by the lake of Gennesaret with the people crowding around him and listening to the word of God, he saw at the water's edge two boats left there by fishermen who were washing their nets. He got into one of the boats, the one belonging to Simon, and asked him to put out a little from the shore. Then he sat down and taught the people from the boat. When he'd finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into deep water and let down the nets for a catch. Simon answered, master, we've worked hard all night and haven't caught anything. But because you say so, I will let down the nets. When they had done so, they caught such a large number of fish that their nets began to break. So they signaled their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both boats so full that they began to sink. When Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus's knees and said, go away from me, Lord, I am a sinful man. For he and all his companions were astonished at the catch of fish they had taken. And so were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, Simon's partners. Then Jesus said to Simon, don't be afraid. From now on, you will catch men. So they pulled their boats up on shore, left everything and followed him. This is the word of the Lord today for you, his church. And may we understand the ways in which we sometimes get the story wrong, the gospel story. And 
may the Spirit guide us into seeing what is the true story, the right gospel story that we are called to share in this world. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. So I want to start this morning by asking you to go back, miserable as this is, to those first days of the pandemic in March of 2020. I can remember having a meeting on March the 8th in my office where I got the whole team together and I said, okay, we're going to have to shut down for two weeks and then we'll all be back together and everything will be fine. And yeah, it didn't exactly go that way, did it? Well, long about June, July, people started to kind of come out, getting back together. And a lot of that revolved around, or, or you were required to wear masks. And so I often had a, a blue surgical mask, but it was challenging. You had to figure out how can you wear a mask and not fog up your glasses? How do you wear a mask and not have the backs of your ears start hurting? And then what do you do with your mask during mealtime? What is polite? Do you leave it on the table? What are you going to do? You're eating outdoors a lot of the time now. So it just was one of those things. So I'd gotten to the habit of when I was eating outdoors, I would take my, my mask and I'd put it under my phone so it wouldn't, wouldn't blow away. Well, one day I'm having, I'm having lunch with somebody on a patio outside. We have a lovely lunch talk. He's also got his blue surgical mask and we take those off while we're eating. And then meal comes to a conclusion and you kind of do what uh, we're all prone to do is we're kind of saying our goodbyes. He says, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to run to the restroom. And I said, well, I, that's great. So he goes and I needed to make a phone call that I had gotten during lunch. So I kind of went to the side of the patio and I made my phone call. And then when I was done, I came back to the table and I found that he had put my mask under his phone. And I was, I was irritated by that. I mean, we're in a global pandemic. You're touching my mask? Like, leave my mask alone. But I I decided I wasn't gonna get irritated. I'm not gonna make a thing out of it. And so I just took the mask, I put it on, and then I went on back about my business, went back to church. And I had meetings that afternoon for about three hours and just one after another after another. And I'm wearing my mask the whole time. And at the end of the third meeting, I had a horrific experience. When I reached into my front right pocket and found my mask. Oh, for the last three hours, I've been breathing that guy's germs. I like, I wanted to take a bath in Lysol. I mean, it was just, I was convinced I was gonna get sick and die almost immediately, right? It was just so unnerving. Oh, it was awful. And, and why did that happen? What led to that event? I got the story wrong. I had created a narrative in my mind where he took my mask and did so without my permission. And so I took what I thought was my mask and off I went. I got the story wrong and that became costly to me. And the other thing is all I would have had to do to avoid that whole situation and, and the grossness of it was just to ask one clarifying question. I just could have waited at the table. And when he came out of the restroom, I could have said, hey, is that your mask or mine? That's all it would have taken but I got the story wrong. Now, I'm not the first person to get the story wrong. We've all probably done that a time or two. You go into a restaurant, you see a man you know well hugging another woman who's not his wife for a long time. And you think, oh my gosh, he's having an affair. Oh, turns out to be his sister, right? You got the story wrong. That's how rumors get started. Or I came into my house one day, we've got a guy painting our, our den and it's half painted white. And I go, whoa, 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 that's not the right color. Mr. Swanson, that's the primer. Got the story wrong, right? 
So we're all struggling a little bit with that today, trying to figure out what's the right story. Are we getting the right story from the media? Are we getting the right story from our politicians? Are we getting the right story from social media influencers? Are we getting the right story from celebrities for heaven's sake? Are we getting the right story from the church? Are we getting the true gospel story? Regardless, the reality is that when you and I get the story wrong, it is costly for us and for those around us every time. We've got to get the story right. And this has got enormous spiritual implications for so many people in the world today who are walking around lost because they've gotten the story wrong. They've gotten the story of Christianity wrong. They, they believe the story that Christian pastors and leaders are just money-hungry people who prey upon the wealthy and the poor, promising, oh, if you just give us some money, God is gonna make you rich. And all the while they live in mansions and fly around on their private jets, right? Or they believe the story that Christian pastors and leaders, they have no integrity. They wield their power in order to abuse staff members and coerce women into affairs and they prey upon children and then ask their subordinates to cover it all up. Right, do they believe the story. Oh, that Christians, they're just hypocrites. They're just, they're just people who talk one way, but they act another. They don't actually live what they say. And you know what? The reality is, that all of those things are true. Every one of those things are true. And that's why it's so hard when those things happen in the church because it sets us back. And the church, absolutely, when there are, are pastors who are wielding power in abusive ways, when people become wounded in the life of the church, the church has to own that. And we confess that and we repent, and we have to build better systems of accountability into the church so that those things are no longer happening. We must take those things seriously. But as much as that is true, everything that I've just described to you is not actually the gospel story, is it? It's the story of God's sinful, messy, broken people. It's their story but it's not the gospel story. God hasn't called us to worship his people. God has called us to worship himself, revealed to us in Jesus Christ. The gospel story is the story of God incarnate in human flesh, his plan to redeem and save the world, to create a kingdom that is revealing to the entire world who God is, what he's about. And then he invites each one of us as his children into that story so that as we serve him, we can experience matchless joy. And yet, if we get the story wrong, we or others in our community will never know the joy that God intends to give us. We need to get the gospel story right. And the reality is that there are so many people in our world today who are being misled and misguided. And because of that, it is costly for their present and certainly for their future. So that's the idea that gets us to this text this morning in Luke chapter five, and again, it's early uh, in Jesus's ministry. Uh, so far, he's been in the desert 40 days and been tempted. He comes out of the desert. He goes to his hometown in Nazareth where he is summarily rejected. And then he starts to reveal his power 
over evil and disease. He's casting out demons. He's healing hundreds of people. And that in and of itself causes a crowd to grow. And the crowd grows not because they want to follow Jesus as Lord, but it's out of curiosity. So there are all these people who are crowding around as Jesus comes up to this lake. And it's kind of an odd scene. He comes up to two empty boats and he just gets into one of them. And Peter's over here washing his nets. And Peter looks up and there's some random guy in his boat. Right? He's never met Jesus. I mean, imagine you're Peter and you look, you're like, hey, dude, what are you doing in my boat? Right? So Jesus says, hey, would you push me out a little bit so that I can, so that I can teach? And in that moment, Peter begins to figure out there's a random guy standing in his boat, but there are also hundreds of people watching the random guy, right? So he figures out, and we know that he does because he calls Jesus master. And so Peter gets in the boat, rows out, they go out, they have their miraculous catch of fish. So as we look at this story, I want us to explore what is the true gospel story? What's the right gospel story? And where are we getting it wrong at times? The gospel story, friends, is the story of our relationship with Jesus Christ, who is no less than the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, the Son of God and the Savior of sinners. The gospel story is purely about our relationship with Jesus. It's not about what anybody else is doing. It's not about what anybody else is saying. It's not about what mess the church may have gotten into lately, including the messes that may happen in this church. It's not about any of that. It's about the nature of one's call to be in a relationship with Jesus Christ. Look at Peter. He has a moment with the son of God in this boat and he gets to a critical juncture where Jesus says, I want you to do something. And Peter has to consider, remember, Jesus is no expert fisherman. Peter is, he's been out all night, he's caught nothing. And yet Jesus says, hey, we should go out and fish some more. And Peter gives the glorious answer that I pray all of us have at some point given when he says, because you say so, I will. That was his moment of surrender. That was the moment where he yielded his life to all that he understood about Jesus in that moment. After the catch, Peter has that incredible profession of faith. But that, that flies in the face of the individualism of our day where everyone wants to be their own authority. I'm my own source of truth. I'm not gonna yield my life to anybody else's authority. And yet in that moment, Peter said, and it's, it's just Peter and Jesus. It's not based on what anybody else is doing or saying or what the religious leaders think. Peter says, Jesus, I'm gonna yield my life to you. And so friends, always, always in the life of the church, that's the message. It's not look at the Christians, it's look at Christ. Never have I said, come to first press and your life will get transformed. No, the message is come to Jesus and you'll be changed forever. The gospel story calls us to follow Christ, regardless of what other Christians may be doing in their sinful, broken lives. But people, the reality is that there will be times when we as gospel sharers in trying to fulfill the call that God has placed upon us to share the gospel, we're gonna encounter these who have been wounded by the church people who have gotten the gospel story wrong. 
And when we, when we do, it's called, researchers call it experiential oppression, where they come into the church and they have an experience that causes them to feel wounded, abused, hurt, wounded, broken, whatever it is. And, and as I said, that's absolutely a true reality. Jason Chatraw said, a crisis for Christian witness is the crisis of Christian virtue. It is. That's why we are constantly reminding you as we go out into the world, our call is to live missionally. The call is to live our faith all the time because of a crisis of Christian virtue. Our witness is suffering and people look at us and they make judgments about Christianity, even though that's the wrong thing, even though that's the wrong story to look at, it still says something. It's not to be ignored completely. But as we encounter people who are like, no, I don't believe the Christian story because I, I got wounded. I, I've been hurt. I was hurt by this leader, this pastor, this member. When that happens, what do we do? We, we listen. We absolutely empathize. We care about the fact that they've been hurt. But then in the same moment, we, we remind them that, you know what, don't, don't forget that what you're talking about is the brokenness of God's people. You're talking about the, the messy nature of what it is to be humans who have a sinful nature. And I'm so sorry that that impacted you. But the gospel story, the true story, is of a God who loves you and wants to be in relationship with you. And if you reject God because you had a bad experience with a Christian, then you're going to miss the love of Jesus and the benefits and the blessings that God intends for you to know. And we begin to gradually and carefully and gently invite them back into what is true gospel community. And that's happened many times in this church where there have been people who have wounded and been wounded by a church and we've tried to invite them in to a healthy community. And then make no mistake, there have been people who have left here because they've been hurt. No question. But, but you're gonna encounter those people and we just have to help them get the story right. That it's not about following the Christians. It's not about what the Christians do, because you know what? They're always gonna let you down. We will always be broken people, but it's Christ that the church calls us to follow. That's the gospel story. And I'll say too, in, in an age of celebrity pastors, it's a dangerous thing. When pastors, as they're speaking, they seem more inclined and more intent upon getting you to follow them instead of getting you to follow Jesus. And there's a huge difference. When kids go to Sunday school class, are they coloring pictures of the pastor or are they coloring pictures of Jesus? What is the intent to be? You know, when I, when I first got here, we'd been here two months, my boys were playing FBVA basketball, kind of little, little junior league basketball. And they were playing with some other kids from the Christ school, we didn't know these families. We're starting to get to know them. They had little friends. So we show up one day and, uh, and I, you know, it's at a little local elementary school. And, uh, and so I get asked as a parent to keep the book and the scoreboard, which is, uh, you know, typically something that happens. And so I have, my, uh, I have my pencil and I'm keeping the book. And in the second quarter, this guy, I'm, I'm sitting across from the stands. This guy starts wearing me out about how the scoreboard is wrong. Fix the scoreboard, fix the scoreboard. And I'm like, if that dude doesn't shut up, I'm, 
not going to end well. And so finally, he, he's yelling so much, the referee comes over and adds up the score in the book. And, and then so, indeed the book agrees with the scoreboard. So duly vindicated, you know, I'm pointing at that guy. And then in the third quarter, he starts up again. Get this gun right. Get this gun. And I'm, I'm sorry, I'm done. And so I'm sitting down. I fly up out of my chair. My folding chair goes over. And I take my pencil. I slam it on the desk. I'm like, you want to keep the book? Come on down and keep the book. You want to do it? And with that, the guy sits down. And he didn't say much after that. But then the parents in the crowd, they turn to one of our elders, Greg McNeil, who I just met. And they said, Greg, who's that guy? And Greg said, oh, he's our new pastor. (laughs) True story. So anybody who was church shopping the next day, they were going to First Baptist. And I'm I'm not trying to diminish the gifts that God has given me or my desire to be faithful in using them to bring you God's word, but people don't follow me. Don't follow me and don't follow any other pastor. And any other pastor that tries to get you to follow him, run. Because I'm just gonna get you thrown out of basketball games and make your plane late, right? So don't follow me always the message, the true gospel story. Because we don't follow the Christians. We follow Christ. The second place where we get it wrong is when people believe that the gospel is nothing more than rules and regulations, where it's just a series of guidelines and things that I have to follow and do. And Jason Chattrell writes this, Christianity is often misconstrued as being solely about rules and not just any rules, but outdated restrictions that tear down our truest human longings and self-expression. Right, so many people get the gospel story wrong because they think it's just outdated restrictions. They think it doesn't make any sense in modern times. I'm not following that. And again, for somebody who's locked up in individualism, they're like, I wanna be free. I wanna do what I wanna do. You can't put me in your box. So what do we do as gospel sharing Christians when we encounter people who are like, no, no, Christianity's not for me. That's just rules and regulations. I ain't doing that. Well, when we encounter people like that, what we do is we just share with them the actual message. What did Jesus say to Peter? He says to Peter, Don't be afraid. From now on, you're gonna catch men. There are no preconditions. He doesn't say to Peter, you need to get good enough. You need to start doing these things and following these rules in order to follow me. There were no preconditions whatsoever. He just says, follow me and I'm gonna invite you into this kingdom experience in which you're gonna be a part of transforming and changing people's lives. That was the message Jesus says in John 10, 10. I came that you might have life and have it to the full. He says in Luke 4, 18, the spirit of the Lord is on me to proclaim freedom for the prisoner. I'm coming to make you free, not to tie you up. That's the true message of the gospel. And do you know what? Jesus Christ, among all the founders of every major world religion, He was the only one. Every single one said, follow this code, follow these guidelines, do these things, and then you might achieve X. Jesus is the only one 
who didn't say, follow this. He just said, follow me. He just said, follow me. And as we communicate that, as we help people understand that, it unlocks their understanding of what freedom really is. Because I've told you before, nobody in this life is truly free. We all have to find that, that story, that narrative that gives us the greatest freedom in life. Not, remember I told you about the allergy-riddled boy that couldn't have a, a traditional pet? So his parents set up an aquarium in his room. He had pet fish. And they get home. Mom goes in to cook dinner. He's playing with his fish in his room. And then he comes out all depressed. He slumps on the sofa. And the mom goes, what's wrong? How are your fish? And he goes, well, at first they were great. We were playing and they were flopping around on the bed, but now they just lay there. Right? People fish experience their greatest freedom in the environment of water. Now they can demand, I want to live on land. It's just not going to work out well. Right? You and I have been made to live in the environment of relationship with Jesus. Not in the environment of rules and regulations. Jesus says, I came to set the prisoner free. You're going to experience the greatest freedom that you've ever known when you live, not within the context of rules and regulations, but when you live within the context of the environment of relationship with me. So we get it wrong when we think it's Christians and not Christ. We get it wrong when we think it's rules and regulations. And then last, and I'll be very brief about this, we, we get the Christian story wrong when we think that God has failed us because our loved one didn't live or our best friend got cancer or he didn't answer my prayer in some way. And because we experienced grief or loss or a burden of some kind and God didn't take it away, we think God failed us, he abandoned us, and because of that, we reject him. And friends, that saddens me so much when people do that. I've, I've talked to somebody online recently whose husband committed suicide. And she said, no, I don't, I don't, I don't do the whole God thing anymore. See, but, but she's getting the story wrong. You can't believe that God has abandoned you because you, if you do, you haven't read the whole story because the story is that God actually came into our darkness. He came into all the mess of our world and overcame death and suffering and grief and mourning and pain so that those things would never have the final word over you. That's the gospel story. If you think God has failed you, you've gotten the story wrong. And that's going to cost you today, and it's going to cost you into the future. The gospel story is the story of a God who loves you so much that he gives his life for you to overcome the pain and the suffering of this world. If your neighborhood uh, is like mine, every once in a while, you'll see these signs that go up all over everywhere. Lost cat, lost dog, right? And usually there's a phone number, there's a description, maybe there's a picture, and I mean, they're everywhere. You, I mean, every telephone pole, every stop sign, there's a picture of this animal, right? But then nobody takes them down, right? They just stay, and they get weathered and kind of faded. And, and I often, as I'm walking my dogs, I... I'll go by and I think, I, I wonder what happened. Did the dog come home? Did the dog ever get found? Right? And then it, it occurs to me, so much effort 
being made to find a lost animal. Are we in the church that concerned about lost people? Are we going to go out and are we going to invest so much to say, hey, Joe's lost. Here's what he looks like. If you run into him, talk to him. Care about him. Ask him questions. Has he been wounded? Does he understand the story? Has he gotten the story wrong? Friends, I pray that we are the kind of churches we've been through this series on learning to tell the story. We need to understand what the story is, that it does what people yearn for in giving us a transcendent, powerful God who's the creator of the universe, while at the same time, a God who is deeply personal and loving and gracious and caring in every dimension of our lives. It's what we yearn for. And it's such a better story than the emptiness of a cultural story that begins and ends with me. I pray that we'd care about lost people and that we would endeavor in our conversations as much as the Spirit can enable us to help people get the story right. Let's pray together. Father, we we love you and we thank you that you give us the privilege of being called into Christian community being called as part of the body of Christ. But at the same time, Lord, we know that we are wholly unable to live that perfectly, that we're always gonna fail. I'm always gonna fail. And so I pray that we would live missionally, that we would do our best to put forward a positive, virtuous gospel witness. But Lord, in that process, may we constantly be reflecting Jesus and deflecting attention so that always, always, we are pointing people to you to tell them a story that's not about rules, not about being put in a box and restricted, but about the freedom and the joy of what it is to be in relationship with you. So Father, for those today who've been wounded and hurt, who feel that you hurt them because they had a tragic experience in life. Lord, this morning, would your spirit touch their hearts, begin to heal those wounds, begin to invite them back into the broken body of Christ, the body of you, our God. So bless us, oh God, as a church, as a people, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Church, let's stand.